0: Uh, Today's word is from Psalm chapter 10, verses 16 through 18. So again, that's Psalm chapter 10, bless you, verses 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So, before Pastor Steve comes up, uh, let's take a moment to listen closely to the words of Martin Luther King Jr. This is what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies. And I'm happy that he didn't say like your enemies because there are some people that I find it pretty difficult to like. Like is an affectionate emotion and I can't like anybody bombing my home. I can't like anybody who would exploit me. I can't like anybody who would trample over me with injustices. I can't like them. I can't like anybody who threatens to kill me day in and day out. But Jesus reminds us that love is greater than like. Yes, sir. Love is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. And I think this is where we are as a people in our struggle for racial justice. We can't ever give up. We must work passionately and unrelentingly for first-class citizenship. We must never let up in our determination to remove every vestige of segregation and discrimination from our nation. But we shall not in the process relinquish Our privilege to love. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. I've seen hate on the faces of too many sheriffs, too many white citizens, councillors, and too many clansmen of the South to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear
1: yes sir.
0: and somehow we must be able to stand up before our most bitter opponents and say we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering we will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good, and so throw us in jail. And we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration, but we will still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And one day, we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, as a preacher, you never want to have to follow Martin Luther King Jr. (laughs) It's a tough assignment. Um, But man, a good thing, I think, to spend a moment this morning and hear those words. Um, I think they are every bit as relevant uh, now as they were 40 years ago or 50 years ago whenever he uh, preached that sermon, so... Uh, A good place to start, this reminder, uh, this call to love each other even if we don't always like each other. So let's pray and then we'll turn our attention to Psalm 10. Father, we uh, as always are are grateful this morning to be able to be here, Uh, grateful for the freedom to, to gather and to worship and to hear from Scripture. And to take communion and to enjoy the relationships that we have with one another. This morning, though, expand our vision just a little bit more. Help us see beyond what happens here, even on Sunday morning. As we've just sung, You are the God of this city, You are the God of this nation. You are king over your entire creation. And even in the moments when it feels like there's no possible way that could be true, ground us in the truth that you are king. And that your plan for your creation is, is uh, it includes us, but it is so much bigger than our personal individual stories. There is something really large at work in the world that you are up to restoring things back to the way that you intended them to be. And so may we grow in our capacity to uh, work with you in that, partner with you in that, point people in that direction. And as we just heard, God, expand our ability to love. And to love uh, in a way that crosses uh, divisions, that... um, Builds relationships between people in ways that are unexpected and surprising and only the results of your gospel taking root in people's lives. We pray all this this morning in Jesus' strong name, amen. Okay, Psalm uh, 10, um, Pastor Albert is uh, is out of town this weekend and so we're going to um, look at the psalms again. We've been uh, making our way through the gospel of Mark and in the weeks when we've Um, taken off from that series, we've been looking at the Psalms, and so uh, today uh, it felt like this was where we needed to go, so Psalm 10 is where we are, Jackie read the very end of it, but we're actually going to look at the whole thing, so if you have that open, look at the first couple verses with me, Psalm 10 opens with two questions, why, O Lord, do you stand far away, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? start on a somewhat lighter note here before we uh, dive into the deep end. When I was, um, well, really the first four years of my driving career, I got a lot of speeding tickets, like a lot of speeding tickets. I I was like, they're like, oh, you're back at traffic school. Welcome back, Steve. Good Good to see you again. And it wasn't just speeding tickets. I got, I got in trouble for doing all kinds of things. One time, this is sort of an infamous uh, Steve story, um, on, our, on our campus at the University of the Pacific in the great city of Stockton, there is this little run of like five stop signs that are all 100 yards apart. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I, got, I ran all of them one time, <laughs> just right through them. That, that ticket, by the way, is is one violation for each stop sign. So it was like... Five of those plus one speeding ticket all on one write up. It was not a good situation. That's actually a story for a whole other sermon, so you're going to have to come back at some point to hear how that one ends. The first two tickets I got, though, uh, were in very quick succession within just a couple of weeks of each other. And the second of those two really stands out to me for a couple of reasons. One, I got pulled over right in front of my sister's school. So, super embarrassing, very public uh, experiences. I was dropping her off. For school. My sister Sarah, by the way, I mean, she was out of that car <laughs> so fast. I, I wasn't even into like getting my driver's license and registration before she was in her classroom. Um, but the other reason that one stands out to me is I was, the officer told me I was going like 38 in a 25 zone, in a school zone, so I'm like, oh this is a good one. Um, but it, it stood out to me because it felt in the moment like it was particularly unfair. My sister's school was just a couple of blocks away from uh, where I went to high school. At my high school, the guys at my high school, we had a reputation for not being good drivers. Apparently, I fully embraced this identity. And, uh, And so I was driving. I wasn't doing anything weird. I was in the flow of traffic. It was like a minivan and then an SUV and then me and then a couple more cars. It was parents, you know, dropping their kids off for school. And it felt like... This particular officer was just looking for one of us, just looking for one of the guys from this high school to to get on this particular morning. And so I engaged him in a conversation about this after being pulled over. It didn't work. By the way, never been able to talk my way out of tickets. Those of you who have been able to do that, you're going to have to teach me your ways. Although I will say this, okay, and you're probably thinking like, I'm never getting in a car with Steve. (laughs) But I've never really been in an accident, and I haven't gotten a ticket in over 10 years, so I, th- I think I've learned, I've learned my lessons. But it felt like, again, I had been singled out in that particular moment. Uh, I was just kind of the easy high school kid target. Now, I begin here, and I share this, fully aware that there are many things, many, many things that uh, we have faced, myself included, far more egregious and challenging than getting a speeding ticket. But again, I want to start here on the somewhat lighter note because it does highlight this feeling that all of us have felt of unfairness, of why is this happening to me right now? The unfairness, the injustice of life, it's a universal experience. And again, some of us face this in a far more visceral daily way than others, but we've all had to deal with it at some level. And no matter how hard we may try to isolate ourselves from it, the unfairness uh, and injustice of this world, this side of heaven, we cannot get away from it. You cannot run away from it. You cannot escape it. The Psalms spend a lot of time giving expression to these experiences, these feelings. Here's just a couple of examples. Psalm 58. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No. And you have to read it that way. <laughs> no. In your heart you devise injustice. And in your hands mete out violence on the earth. Psalm 94. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? Anybody ever felt this way? Psalm 74, again, this question. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it. From the fold of your garment and destroy them. Strong words. But words that give voice to the frustration, the anger, the fatigue, the heartbreak over injustice persist. Have you been there? Have you felt that? Now, a couple of uh, reminders, refreshers about the Psalms. We've um, spent three or four weeks looking at Psalms throughout the fall into the winter, we've seen that the Psalms are prayer language used for worship and prayer by people for thousands of years, and the full range of human experience is given a voice in this language. Rage, joy, thanksgiving, confession, praise, and countless other experiences and emotions we can know because of the psalms that whatever we are going through whatever we might be experiencing or facing we can bring that to God in prayer nothing is off limits nothing too big too difficult too ugly too weird to be brought to God in prayer we've also seen that there are three basic categories of psalms there's praise psalms Thanksgiving psalms and psalms of laments. Now, 40% of the psalms are psalms of laments. It's almost half. These expressions of sadness and anger over the unchecked wickedness and injustice that goes on in our world, 40%. Psalm 10, it's a lament psalm. It begins with these poignant questions. Again, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now these are not philosophical, theoretical questions. The the psalmist is not going to go into a discussion here or a pontification about why suffering exists or why good things happen to bad people or anything like that. Theologian Tremper Longman writes, These questions are asked not so much to receive an explanation as to prod God into action. These are a call to action. God had entered into a covenant with Israel and had promised that he would be with his people and now the psalmist wants to see God take action on his behalf. When are you going to get involved in all this madness that is going on? There's a certain level of boldness in the psalms, right? In the way the psalmist prays and interacts with God. It makes me wonder if sometimes our prayers are too nice. Maybe we need to pray a little more meanly. Now, verses 2 through 11, the psalmist is going to make the case to God why he should be getting involved. He's going to list out all the injustices that he's witnessed to. The source of the injustice is this character, this wicked character, the wicked or the wicked man. And the, the things that he does can sort of be grouped into a couple different categories, First, the wicked are identified by their pride. Verse 2 calls the wicked man arrogant. Verse 3 says the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And verse 4 again speaks to the pride of the wicked. Second, there's an intentional and systematic exploitation of the vulnerable. Verse 2 In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. This comes up again pretty extensively in verses 8 through 10. The wicked man sits in ambush, murders the innocent, lurks like a lion to seize the poor, and crushes the helpless. This systematic, intentional exploitation of the vulnerable. And then finally, the wicked reject God. Verse 3, the wicked renounces the Lord. Verse 11, they act as if God has forgotten about what's going on. Verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, him being God. All his thoughts are, this is fairly blatant, there is no God. There's no God. No one holding me accountable, no one watching me, I can do whatever I want. Injustice is a power problem, it is a social problem, it's a political problem, but underneath all of that, ultimately, it is a spiritual problem. People are not exploited, trafficked, oppressed, enslaved, or systematically segregated unless there is a deep, deep spiritual sickness in that community, city, nation I think this is why Martin Luther King Jr.'s influence is still so powerful. Many people have spoken out against injustice, very few of them as deeply shaped by the life and teaching of Jesus as Martin Luther King Jr. His vision was rooted in the biblical idea of shalom. If you were around this past summer, we spent some time in the book of Genesis and spent a lot of time building this theology of shalom. If you want to go back and learn more about that, there's there's much more to that in those early teachings in Genesis, but I just want to kind of run through that quickly here to remind us of how God created the world to function, to work. God created the world and he called it good and when he finished he called it very good and not good in the sense of perfect, done, complete, finished but good in terms of its intention and its order. Everything before sin enters the story is in its right place, rightly ordered, functioning the way God intended it to function, fulfilling its purpose. That's what the biblical writers refer to when they use this word shalom, the way God intended things to be. A step further, shalom is best understood as a hierarchy of right relationships, God, humans, and creation. In this Hierarchy, needs were met. There was good work to do, deep relationships to be enjoyed. All the food and basic necessities of life were provided for. No one was exploited. No land uh, was, uh, no one was oppressed. No land was exploited. No power abused. It was a state of total human flourishing. We were created to work in partnership with God to steward his good world that is the way things were intended to be so when we get to genesis chapter three the root issue here is not rule breaking it's relationship breaking yes there were boundaries that god had put in place in order to protect this shalom and yes those boundaries were broken but this is a relational problem Man and woman, Adam and Eve, they reject God. They put themselves at the top of the hierarchy. They kind of mess with God's uh, intended created order and has, of course, devastating consequences. Not the least of which, maybe the most significant of which, is the distance that it begins to create between God and creation and between people. Genesis 3, 9, God goes walking in the garden asking the question, where are you? Where are you? And of course God knows where they are. But this shows us again that there's been a break. There's been a separation between them. This, by the way, is the same question the psalmist asked God at the beginning of Psalm 10. Where are you? Sin at its core, it is about breaking right relationship with God and with each other and the result is that it creates distance. At its heart, that is what injustice is. It's about separating. And at its heart, justice is about bringing things back together, putting things back together, back to the way God intended them to be. And as you you read through the book of Genesis, you see these separations grow. You see violence escalate. You see tribes of people form. They start plotting against each other. Power becomes consolidated. And the result of that always is the weak and the vulnerable get exploited. Again, all the result of rejecting right relationship with God. Now this brings us back to Psalm 10. Okay, the wicked person described in verses 2 through 11 has fully embraced what we might call an anti-shalom way of life. Embracing injustice, creating these great distances between people, and it's so pervasive and all-encompassing, the psalmist doesn't know anything else to do but lament and to plead for God to intervene in some way. So these opening questions in verse 1 here are meant to prod God into action, but I think they also force us to ask some questions of ourselves. The first, similar to the question I asked earlier, is do we pray like this? Do we lament and call God to take action against the injustices that we are witness to? Interesting thing about Psalm 10 is that it doesn't appear that What the author is describing is something that he is experiencing personally. Maybe he is, but he doesn't talk about it in that way. This is more about seeing what is going on and calling it out. Ultimately, this is a a psalm about standing up for the poor and the fatherless and the oppressed. Those words that Jackie read for us a few moments ago. So I think the other big question that this forces us to ask is, do we hear these cries? Do we hear the cries of the oppressed? Do we see the injustices that are being perpetrated in our world, or do we try to isolate ourselves from them? I'll tell just a a little bit of my own story, because I think this is a big part of my personal journey. I don't have... Time to get into all of it, and I share all of these fully aware that I still have a very long way to go on this journey. But these are a couple of things that have helped soften my heart, help open my eyes to the injustices in our world. The first of which, maybe the most important of which, is Scripture itself. It's all over Scripture. God's hatred of injustice, His heart for the vulnerable and the oppressed. Two places that have been specifically challenging to me the Old Testament prophet Amos and the Gospel of Luke. Hear these words from the book of Amos seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. The word good shows up there. Twice, in just those two little verses, it's the Hebrew word tov. It's the same word from Genesis chapter 1. When God says his creation is good, he says it is tov. 361 times shows up in the Old Testament, translated as good. Reminding us of shalom, of the way that God intended the world to be. In the book of Amos, these particular words come right in the middle. And if you read through the book of Amos, there's just a lot of negative stuff. (laughs) It's a lot of just listing all of the horrible things the people of Israel have done. But there is this urgent message to repent, to turn from that wickedness and to seek good, to seek shalom. And the time that I've been able to spend in that book has been vital for me in learning about God's heart for, uh, for the restoration of his shalom. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus confronting the unfairness and the injustice of his day through his actions, through the team of people that he assembles around him, of course through his teaching, and ultimately through the sacrifice of of his life, all of which is a fulfillment of his mission statement. Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you take uh, nothing else away this morning, hear God's heart from Scripture. Scripture these words from scripture itself, God hates injustice. Central to his plan of redemption, it's not just about saving individual souls. That's certainly part of it. But it's so much bigger than that. It is about restoring shalom and the process of restoring shalom involves righting these wrongs. So scripture has been hugely influential. The other big thing, our second big thing has been a variety of different experiences that I've been fortunate enough to have. Probably the most uh, influential and, and really the first big one for me was the summer that I spent in Chicago, in inner city Chicago as a college student, part of an InterVarsity Urban Project. That experience plunged me into a, a neighborhood and a story that was way outside of anything that I had experienced. Prior to that, I was confronted with my sin, my racism, my prejudice. And again, it forever altered the way that I see the world and in particular the mission, the purpose of the church. Listen to these words from John Perkins. If you're not familiar with John Perkins, go buy one of his books this afternoon. He is a very wise uh, and amazing man. He says, how can we claim to be loyal to Christ's mission when we flee the mission field at our doorstep? Unless the church fulfills its responsibility to proclaim by word and deed the good news to the poor, the poor have no true hope. And so again, words like these, these times in Scripture, these sorts of experiences and the learning that went along with them, turned my world upside down, taught me that what God is up to is big. So much bigger than just me, so much bigger than what happens in a church on a Sunday morning far more abundant than what I had thought or imagined. Finally, I continue to learn about, be confronted with uh, the injustices in our world through different relationships. Um, And again, blessed to have a lot of relationships that have, have shaped me. Real relationships with real people who have different stories, different experiences. Vital to cultivating a heart like God's. For me, probably the most important of these is my relationship with my wife, Amy. Amy and I both grew up in Salinas, a town that's deeply divided between white and Latino, white and Mexican, more specifically. And um, we grew up in the same place, but had very different experiences of that community. This is a bit uh, of an exaggeration, but it's not too far from the truth. I grew up in the Salinas equivalent of Piedmont, and Amy in the salinas equivalent of deep east just a quick story um there was this time this moment i think it was when we were living in boston someone set off a very loud and large firecracker right in front of our house i go running to the window to see what's going on amy hits the floor because that's what you do in east salinas you don't go running to the window like a dummy (laughs) My relationship with her has changed my perspective on our hometown, but not just our hometown, but the world. And those sorts of relationships have softened me towards the realities that many people face, especially those living in neighborhoods like East Salinas or East Oakland. So again, our relationships shape us, and so we need to take a, a long look at who we spend time with. Do our relationships shield us from the cries of the oppressor? Do they help bring us closer? Now, verse 12, back to Psalm 10. Verse 12 says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but you do see? For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands to you the helpless commits himself you've been the helper of the fatherless break the arm of the wicked and the evil doer call his wickedness to account till you find none the psalmist sees and feels the injustice taking place around him he gives voice to it he names it and he laments it But again, the call to action here is directed towards God. Scripture makes it clear all throughout, from the beginning to the end, that we are to participate in this. Whether we're heeding Jesus' call to love our neighbor as ourselves or the command to do justice from Micah 6.8, this is where our church even gets its mission statement. It's clear that we have a role to play, but sometimes we forget That while we are called to do justice, only God Himself is just. God is the only one who can ultimately establish and bring justice. Jeremiah seventeen ten I the Lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Too often, grace and justice are set up as opposites, but that is a false dichotomy. Both grace and justice find their source, their ultimate source, in God. And they both require that we trust they both require that we have faith that God will do what God has said he will do. That God is the one who decides who is just and fair and right and good. And this is where we come now to the end of Psalm 10. This uh, note of hope reminding us that God indeed is good. That God will keep his word. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The good news is that it is not all on us. We can trust God to do his part. Yes, we will and should participate and fight for justice. We even talk about some ways we can do that here in just a moment. But we do not have the final word in this. And that's actually, I think, really good news because we have such a strong tendency to screw things up. But God, in his grace, invites us into the process, even though in the end it is all his work. Cornel West is famous for saying, justice is what love looks like In public and so we do trust God to be just and to bring justice but we also must do our part to put on to put our love on display so a couple of ways that we can do that and these may sound really simple but I think that they are important for us to think about as a community so the first is we can pray like the psalmist we must pray we must lament we must cry out for God To move. And Jane talked a little bit about the prayer and worship night coming up. And like the Psalms, all things will be on the table uh, on those nights. But that will be, I think, an important and, and really good space to pray for justice to be done and to pray against the injustice that we see in our world. And I do think there will be many things to pray about along those lines in the coming days and weeks, and months. Praying for justice, I think, also helps ground us and remind us of our role, that we're not ultimately the ones in control of us. So we must bring these things to God. And I think that when we do that, He will respond. We will see Him move in some amazing ways. And I get really excited thinking about that. So we can pray and then we can listen. We need to listen to God, to his voice in scripture, to these psalms of lament, to the Old Testament prophets, to Jesus' words in the gospels as we continue our way through Mark in the coming weeks. We need to listen to God's voice. We need to listen to each other, to each other's stories. Listening to one another helps uh, uh, eliminate that distance that oftentimes exists between us. We need to listen to voices outside this community, even if they challenge us and make us feel uncomfortable. So we pray and we listen and then we can participate and support good work. And there's a lot, there's a long list of things that we can get involved with. Some of you are already doing this. One of the things that I love about being a part of this community is hearing and seeing all the good work that you guys are doing uh, outside of these walls or in connection with, with us or with other things that we are partnered with. Um, But I do want to highlight one thing in particular this morning. There's, again, a a whole number of ways. I feel bad even um, narrowing down to one thing, and yet this is something that is on my heart, and I know a lot of us here have been thinking about um, the refugee crisis that is taking place in our world world right now. I was at a conference this past summer, and there was a, a person speaking at it who said quite challengingly that this particular issue... The mass movement of people around the globe and the refugee crisis that is resulting from that. This is the issue that will determine if the church still has credibility in two to three generations from now. A sobering statement. There are a lot of things that we can do, a lot of ways to be involved. If you've been around uh, here the last couple of months, you know of our partnership with 1951 Coffee, the good work that they are doing in the refugee community here in the East Bay. If you don't know, they uh, train folks in uh, the coffee industry to set them up vocationally, um, oftentimes as a first job or a first step uh, towards a career. And part of their endeavor has been working on a physical space, an actual cafe where they can employ some of the people who have gone through their program and help generate income to do more good work. And they're actually launching their cafe space this week. Um, And so on Tuesday is their soft launch. Next week is going to be their grand opening. One very simple thing you can do is simply go buy coffee there. (laughs) Go support what they are doing. If you want to know more about how to be involved with with that, um, Doug, the founder, he's uh, one of the founders, is there in the back. And he's got some really cool ideas beyond just supporting the cafe and the work there, but some ways to help build uh, relational networks and get uh, some of these folks more plugged into community um, if you want to know how to do that, go talk to Doug. He's actually working in our cafe this morning, and so you can go uh, ask him some questions about that. I want to close with these words from the Apostle Paul. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. i seen a lot of people get really excited about some cause or some issue of injustice and then flame out after a couple of months. How do we not grow weary? What fuels and drives and motivates our doing justice is the love that we have experienced from God. Essentially, it's the gospel. God, who suffered the greatest injustice, who allowed himself to become sin, who allowed himself to be killed so that his creation could be justified, that love compels us to continue to do good. To continue to seek shalom. To love in public. Even if it's costly, uncomfortable, or messy. Do not grow weary in doing good. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning, wherever we are at, whatever our life situation may be, that we take one step, one simple step towards eliminating the distance. Maybe that's a step towards you, a softening of our hearts towards uh, your son Jesus. Maybe that's a step of relationship, crossing a a boundary or uh, striking up a friendship with someone we might not normally pursue Maybe that's getting involved in uh, something here at at Regen or something in our community. Whatever it is, God, may we have the courage to take that next step, whatever it may be, to continue doing good, seeking shalom. Not because we are going to change the world or we're going to save anybody from anything, but simply because we're responding to the love that you have shown us the lengths that you have gone to eliminate the distance between you and us. So may we not grow weary, but may that good work be fueled by the gospel. May it point people towards Jesus. May it point people towards your heart for all of creation to be redeemed. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.